Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Before I introduce our guest for the day, I have a word from our sponsors. You're here because you're looking to grow as a fundraiser. And New Story is today's sponsor because they're looking to hire fundraisers with a growth mindset. This nonprofit organization works to pioneer solutions to end global homelessness. You might have heard about them from their work in 3D printing homes or as a fast company, most innovative company, three-time winner. And now they're looking for you. You can find all the details at newstorycharity.org. That's N-E-W-S-T-O-R-Y-C-H-A-R-I-T-Y.org. NewStoryCharity.org. Hi, welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Olson, and I'm joined today by my co-host and partner in crime, Roy Jones. If you enjoy this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. I am really excited to be here today with Jennifer Diaz, who is the Director of Major Gifts with the Salvation Army, uh, and she serves out of their offices in the Philadelphia area. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to get into a conversation with you about major gift fundraising. Before I do that, though, I would love if you take a few minutes and just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and a little bit about the work that you're doing. Absolutely. Like Andrew mentioned, my name is Jennifer Diaz. I've been working with the Salvation Army for a little over nine years. I've been fortunate enough to be fortunate enough to be in an office where uh, they've grown me from little old campaign assistant all the way up to someone who's uh, running a group of about five individuals within the major gift team. So I'm in charge of sort of the, the upper echelon donors within the direct Philadelphia metro area. And then I'm managing staff who are in Delaware State, all the way up in the Northeast Pennsylvania, Allentown and beyond region. And we have uh, someone also out in the York, Central Pennsylvania area as well. So the, um, the team has been, they're a little, I would say they're a little more mature in their fundraising career. So it has been easy for me to move into this role and kind of help guide things along as things change. Awesome. And so Jennifer and I met probably five years ago, I think, uh, when I was doing some work with the Salvation Army Eastern Territory. And, and uh, we had some great conversations then have kept in touch. But I want to dig into a couple different things here in this call. So the first one is I'm always fascinated by the path that brings people into the field of philanthropy. Because most people, at least so far, I know there's university level programs now for fundraising and nonprofit, but there weren't when you and I started. So I, I'm really curious to, to just hear, you know, the path that you took to get into the field and how you, how you decided on the Salvation Army. That's a great question. I've had a little zigzag path that all began with an art degree coming out of the college during the worst recession known to man at that time. And I actually had a photography background within, within my art degree. So I worked for Canon the camera company in uh, Virginia for about five years, five or six years, and met a guy. He happened to be from a Salvation Army family. Okay. Um, his his parents were actually are actually officers in the Salvation Army. For those who don't know, the Salvation Army is a church, and its lay people are officers, uh, like the actual army. They've got titles like captain, lieutenant, major. And they are shipped out, deployed to 
various places throughout the world and throughout the United States where they're needed most, where their skill set is needed most. And so I happened to, you know, become very close with with his family and his family's friends. And one of the ladies who uh, was was the best friend of my mother-in-law said, listen, you know, we, we know you're moving to Philadelphia. Don't, you know, it's going to happen. We have a, a role here that I think if you're, if you're willing to come in a nonprofit, it would, it'd be a great stepping point. And that was at the time, the Philadelphia Croc campaign, Ray and Joan Croc, uh, their incredible bequest to the Salvation Army opened, I want to say, 25 Salvation Army Croc centers, I think. Wow. It could be larger than that. Don't hold me to that, because I know that there were a, f- a couple more being built. in Philadelphia began, they began to fundraise in 2006, 2007, and officially opened in 2010. So I came on in 2011 when they were still raising uh, $40 million for that campaign. And so I hit the ground running, learning everything about nonprofit campaigning, which is a lot of, uh, (laughs) a lot of meetings, a lot of getting to know people, a lot of just speaking to the community and seeing, does it make sense to have this particular facility here? How will it disrupt what's already happening? Will it bring uh, income to the area? And and in fact, it it ended up uh, really making a huge impact, uh, bringing in grocery stores and other things to a place that had nothing within the city. So that's where I started with the Salvation Army and grew up in 4-H and Girl Scouts, always had a heart for nonprofit and doing things for others. And it was a natural fit. And so coming from a, you know, customer service background into someone who loved to talk to people, uh, <laughs> learning how to really connect with folks and what drove them philanthropic, you know, in, within their philanthropic dreams. And, and that came very easily. I just like to talk to people, see what they like and connect them with said program or said, uh, even if it's not at the Salvation Army, I've, I've found people throughout the city that really connect with so many different nonprofits. Uh, so I've grown through from, from being a campaign assistant and, and learning, <laughs> learning the ways of, of, a, of a development team and a development department all the way into major gift fundraising. And as of last year, uh, we had a role that was vacant for some time. And that was just managing all of the other major gift fundraisers. And so it was a, a natural fit for me to, to kind of move into that role. It's different. I, you know, taking on new skill sets with manager management that, you know, just never had to deal with. I was used to um, hustling donors around and moving around and, and trying to get in front of them. And so it's fun to mentor some of my staff and, and get them um, excited about doing this work. Yeah, I bet it is. So I'm curious with, I think you said you had like five direct reports right now. With that additional leadership level responsibility, what percentage of the time are you spending actually with donors engaged in, in cultivating relationship and, and making asks versus managing the rest of the chaos of, of leading a team and, and all that other kind of stuff? <laughs> That's a great question, which I don't want my boss to listen to this. Answer. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's, it's something I've, I've moved because of the, the time I've been with this particular caseload of individuals that I'm so just humbled to be able to work with. I've whittled that down substantially. So I'm only working with the top, I would say 10% of the folks who are giving the most amount of money to Philadelphia. So I, I'm trying to get that, that portion at least to half, half and half right now. 
um, especially this time of year. This is when, when most people want to be engaged, they're home. Um, during this time of COVID, they're home even more. Yeah. Uh, Philly is locked down and, and people are, are uh, you know, they're waiting for your phone call. They want to talk to you. They're, they, they, they're ready to uh, be engaged in that sense. So long answer to a short question is, is I'm trying to get half management time, half working with donors time. Okay. Um, that's kind of where it stands right now. Great. You know, I, I think that's just one of those curiosities that a lot of people in your role across the country always struggle with, like, how much time do I spend on that versus the other? So I'm curious, sort of another kind of leadership challenge question for you. Obviously, it's, it's a lot easier when you can stand face to face with someone and have a conversation um, and motivate your team when you're, you know, right in front of them and, and able to be nearby. How are you navigating the challenge of being remote because of COVID and, and how is your team sustaining and kind of, you know, keeping centered when they're all distributed across the, the region right now? Great question. That has been a challenge. Uh, uh, I just hired a gentleman, one of our, our longtime fundraisers just retired in July. So I had the unique opportunity of completely remote hiring uh, and then things opened up a little bit. We were able to have him come to the office one day a week. Um, I also had onboarded a major gift associate. So she's taking care of all four of us right now until I hire one more person to take you know, so even, even out the assistantship there, having that in-person face-to-face contact just with staff makes a huge, huge difference. It's, it's hard. Uh, there's no, easy way around it. The two other major gift officers, uh, one out in central Pennsylvania and the one in Delaware, they do frequent the offices more. So they have a team of, of folks that they're supporting, they're fundraising for, that they'll, it's, it's a much more rural situation. So they haven't, you know, they're, they're not completely cut off from the world. They can get that nourishing interaction with other <laughs> coworkers. Okay. And see the programs and go and help volunteer and, you know, pack a, a, a food box for someone. And just, that's one of the things I've encouraged this whole time is yes, we have things that we need to do. We've got goals we need to meet, but you need to go and get close to the need. You need to get close to the program safely if you can, if you feel comfortable doing so. And that has made a world of difference for each and every one of us being able to go and volunteer, taking it a day and, just seeing why we're doing what we're doing, that makes a massive difference. So if yeah. we can't physically be close, you know, we're trying to have as virtual, you know, all of, all of these Zoom meetings and things like that, people get a little fatigued from that, um, but they are meeting with their donors virtually. Um, a lot of people are seeing people face-to-face as well. It's, it's, a, it's a mixed bag right now. When it comes to leading them though, that's, that's, that's been challenging, especially as a new leader and learning how people uh, communicate and when they have certain needs and, and how I can help them move along the, the donor management path and everything like that. So it's, uh, it's getting better. It's taken some time to get to this point. I need people to wave white flags. I need them to not hold back. And that's, especially with some of the, the brand new young staff I, being a little younger, I can understand it and knowing what they've gone through and, and, and being able to go, you know, join them on that path. I know when to ask and I know when to cry a little bit more, uh, but it's been okay. We'll, we're, we're figuring it out and 
yeah, I'm probably going to send people some some cheese boards or something for Christmas because we just can't get together and it's it is it's a real shame. That's that's one yeah. thing the Salvation Army does really well is they feed people and we gather. <laughs> yes. And that is that is hurting. That is definitely that's hurting right now. So. I bet. <laughs> so let, let's turn this a little bit and talk about kind of the donor side of things. So many people talk about 2020 being a year unlike any other and particularly for fundraising. What has been your experience and your team's experience with that over the last 11 months? We have really been humbled by the outpouring of support from donors. We work for an organization that, this sounds cruel to say out loud, but COVID was a gift to us Hmm. because we weren't doing the most fantastic job of telling our story and doing, you know, we, we just didn't tell our story. We did so we do a lot of work. Philadelphia alone, 90 cents of every dollar that is donated goes directly towards programming. That's a pretty great for folks. Solid number. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's, it doesn't tell the whole story. I think right. that overhead is very important. <laughs> but for, from that perspective, we've, we've been able to save a lot of money and, and use that money directly for the folks who are in need. So it's given us the time, I think, to stop and tell every single donor that both on major gift caseloads, uh, the folks who are at more of a mid-level to, to just direct mail level donations. We've had to stop in our tracks and think of really innovative ways to bring people closer to what we're doing without physically seeing them. A lot of people really did want to see us. I had a couple of people that I've visited and they're like, oh, no, 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 take off your mask. And I, I have to say, my lawyer is making me wear this. I cannot... <laughs> you, you know, it's all branded with the, with the Salvation Army shield and everything. It's nice. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's great. I think people see that we are, you know, the, the figures and statistics that we're producing. Um, people think of the Salvation Army whenever they're hungry. People think of the Salvation Army. It's, it's been ex- exceptional brand recognition and it's forced us to, to really sit down and have everyone at every level, be it the uh, her fantastic janitorial staff all the way to you know the CEO of organization understand they need to to be able to tell the story of the army and why are we here and what are we doing and um, find a way to get that out to the masses better so we've had a couple zoom uh, town hall style meetings where our CEO which he's he's referred to as a divisional commander here in Philadelphia uh, had the opportunity to sit and really be vulnerable in front of whoever called in and a lot of our donors called into it. They had the time to sit and see kind of like a, um, like a shareholder meeting, you know, what's going on? How's my investment being used? Which we weren't doing a good job of that prior to this this event. Do you think that's something that you all might continue to do over time, even once the world's reopened? I believe so. I think we've got enough positive feedback on it. Um, I think that, the world is learning how to deal with this a lot better and finding more innovative ways to do virtual meetings that aren't just so boring. It's really hard to sit in front of a computer all the time. Uh, so I think that we can, we, yes, we are very hyper or local. People want to know what's happening in their backyard. They want to know what, what are, are my dollars going to my neighbors or are they going to some city that I don't care about? You know, what's going on? Mm-hmm. So while respecting the hyper-local programs, the, um, the impact that's being made by our organization, we now have an opportunity and a stage where 
people will tune in and maybe we have a celebrity or someone who is a little bit more of a recognizable figure than our own internal officers who we know we love. It's great. However, we, we need that outer view and we need sure. to bring in a few more uh, figures and, and, and people who can really advocate for us. And I think we would get a massive, massive turnout. I think that people would really enjoy, you know, seeing why, you know, so-and-so, uh, I think it was DJ Khaled was, was plugging Rescue Christmas, which then we, we had um, one of the owners of the Philadelphia 76ers want to get involved because he personally called this man out on Facebook. Huh. And what are we doing with this opportunity? We need we need to we need to bank on this. We need to you know run with this incredibly unique opportunity to seem relevant, probably to to a whole another uh, cast of society of people who who don't know the Salvation Army as this this multifaceted organization that um, you know we're going to feed people, we're going to help anybody who comes through our doors without discrimination. And oh, by the way, we are, you know, are, we're fighting human trafficking. Like we have a, a, a thriving program in Philadelphia where we are getting people uh, the help and the resources that they need. Some other, some other, you know, I think it, trafficking has been a kind of a hot topic item that I'm seeing in, in social media and everything like that. But it's, it's one thing to say, we're going to stop it versus what, how are we actually doing that? Come and visit our center, right. come and see what we're doing. See, so the, the opportunity to, to stop and think and slow down. And yes, we, we had people who are, are working nonstop right now uh, to meet the, the immediate needs, to, to meet the, the folks. Homelessness didn't stop because COVID began. How are we, how are we adapting? And having folks in my role, having folks in, in PR and some of the other vendors that we are are very blessed to work with to tell that story better. This this is this has been an un, unfortunate gift to us to have the world stop for a second so that we can re reevaluate just how we're meeting the need and how to tell that story, which is a, a great way to bring people closer to what they're investing in. Yeah, I don't know if you saw this, but I want to say it was back in maybe July or August. Uh, there's a, a major gift capital campaign consulting firm uh, named Dickerson Baker and Associates. Yes. And they, they published a study. They had interviewed over a thousand, maybe 2000 uh, major donors to evangelical causes. Mm -hmm. Did you see this study at all? I don't believe that I have. Okay. No, I, I've I'll, heard of this one though. I'll I send you a I, copy. I think I, I have a stack of studies and, and <laughs> philanthropy, chronicle philanthropy. I'm looking at it right now that I've got to get through, but uh, <laughs> I needed to make sure we could uh, get get our folks hired and pay the bills sure, at the same yeah. time. <laughs> no, so what, what I thought was fascinating about the study was they, they wanted to know if people gave to their favorite charities or to any charities because of COVID, how would that impact your end giving? Because Somebody like you, somebody like me, we're all worried about what's going to happen with year end, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and what I, what I found just fascinating was that these donors, by like, I think more than 70% said that the gifts they gave to help organizations get through the initial issues of, of the COVID crisis, they viewed as, you know, sort of special and over the transom and that they plan to either give the same amount or more in year end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, which I think is, is a wonderful story and, and just so telling about, you know, the, the American spirit of generosity. I'm really curious to know um, if you feel like you're seeing that same trend with your donors or are you seeing something different in the market? 
I am. Uh, I, 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 it's funny, as you're saying these words, I'm like that's exactly what's happening that I'm seeing directly in my office. I'm okay. seeing folks who once told me, oh no, this is your only one-time gift. You're going to get it at the end of the year. If you want to restrict any of it to something else, that's fine, but this is the only time you're going to get it. Like that gift doubling and mm. being a, like, well over six-figure doubling wow. funding. I've seen folks who uh, retired and maybe they're not giving as much as they used to now giving bigger monthly gifts, you know, continuing through the end of the year. And I'm just waiting for it to, to end. We've been truly, truly fortunate and blessed uh, to, to have the people who love us the most want to continue to invest and they're seeing that. So I can say that from my tiny little slice of the pie that I, uh, or the, the worldview that I have in nonprofit fundraising for religious organizations, that that review, that study rings true. I don't know what that looks like. I'm volunteering for a couple other nonprofits and I can't say that's the same for all of them. Sure. We're just, again, fortunate enough to be in the business of need. I mean, the Salvation yeah. Army is there and we're, they know that we're going to help everybody and that's never going to end it's it's not a, a niche we don't have a niche um program or or, or calling i mean we're just we're here to help <laughs> yeah, so no. that rings true um i am so so grateful that it's ringing true um <laughs> but yeah people and and the conversations that i've had with donors are, are very similar where it's you know you got you need to get through this or hey here's you know a pretty large gift but I wanted to help so many different people. What innovative way can you come to the hmm. table and make this work? And that's, I, you know, working with, with, a, with an individual who, um, she couldn't find a nonprofit that was able to distribute something in that manner. It was almost like a grant where you, you know, she comes to the table, here's, I want to, how can I help as many families as possible? And we were able to get, I think, Wi-Fi hotspots all of the schools here are virtual and we've got families constantly in transition and they're, it's not like they can just call Comcast and hook up a, a cable router in their, in right. their, you know, in the room within their shelter residence. So we've found innovative ways to use folks, uh, the, the contributions they're giving and we're already preparing to see another contribution of that sort because of what we did earlier in the pandemic with that. So that's pretty cool. It's, again, this is all stuff that, we, I don't want to discredit us. We have been doing things like this, but never, I don't think it's ever been as thoughtful. And, and you know, when, when the brakes came on, we really had to, to be innovative. And I think that people appreciate that. And I think any nonprofit that's doing that uh, will also see their investors give bigger gifts because of it. I'm hoping that that's the case yeah, across I, the board. I, I want I'm, everyone to survive. I'm hoping as well. So I, you know, Kind of on, on a similar plane with this, that's not the kind of investment that you get in a transactional relationship, right? There has mm -hmm. to be a high level of trust. Absolutely. Talk to me about the role of trust in, in that relationship between yourself and, and a funder. And mm -hmm. what are some of the key steps that you have to take to build that trust and to maintain it over time? Trust is so important. I love this topic. What I found in my own personal uh, growth is considering myself the conduit and not the organization. So I represent the Salvation Army and I represent some other organizations I really, really love because I volunteer for them. Uh, however, I'm not the one doing the work. And so I found that I've built far more trust. You know, one, one of the gentlemen that came to mind when you mentioned 
the t you know, who's giving, are they going to give now? Or are they going to give at the end of the year? This guy has been giving nonstop and it's absolutely because when he first started and actually this, this is a relationship that goes on for years, but within the last two years, I've found the best representative of the army, an officer who gets it. She's, she's able to speak to people. She is philanthropic in her own right. And so I let her know every time that this gentleman's making a gift and she'll call him and have a long conversation. I mean, she's, she's the person that he needs to be speaking to. Yes, we have a relationship. He, you know, I'll continue to, he likes emails more than anything else. But I think the more that we can put the folks doing the work and they are pressed for time, let me tell you, if they're doing the work, they're tired. Uh, they, they, they will give you every excuse not to do something like this, but if they're, if, if you can find someone who's comfortable in doing so, and maybe you're holding their hand during the conversation or on the zoom call and you're guiding it along the, the, the person giving the funds just feels that I, extra connection to what's happening. I'm not the one doing the work. <laughs> I'm just bringing you to the work. And so that, that has been extremely successful. We've, we've had, um, I'm trying to get that started also with, um, some advisory council volunteers for some other sites. People want to volunteer right now. They have a little bit more time because they're home. Some people do, other people don't. But because we can't have you come in and pack Christmas baskets or we can't have you serving meals to the community, here's a way that you can help. You love us so much. Granted, it's it's we're looking at some of the high level, more you know, VIP to VIP, VIP to CEO level relationships. You know, would you feel comfortable calling so-and-so and just telling your story of why you love the Salvation Army and, and see where that takes us. And some, you have to have some, some guidance along the way and, and it's helpful, you know, you have to have your own trust within the, the volunteers, sure. but most people love it so much that they are able to carry the story. And that, again, it's just another warm connection to someone and they see their peers trusting your organization. Oh, that's great. Yeah, they're doing a good job. I'll, I'll keep giving. So knowing how to utilize connections will build trust. Um, again, it's not about me. I'm, I'm not the one doing the work. I'm literally just bringing you to see all of the good that your work is doing. We are your hands to the community right now, since you, your hands, you know, may not, you may not be comfortable coming down and helping. So that has been that my tried and true method for, you know, at, at least five years is find, find the person in the room, find the person in the organization or the program director who, who knows what they're talking about better than you and get them in front of the donor. You do have to, you know, sometimes having a prep meeting, um, I've gone as far as writing up um, dialogues and, and what if scenarios and everything so that they feel a little bit more comfortable. Like that's where my skill set comes in. And um, it just, it really makes a huge difference. I'm, this, I'm just coming through right now with uh, one of the, one of the tiny organizations that's in my neighborhood that I love dearly. And the director's just like, I'm so scared. I don't want to talk to anyone. <laughs> like she, she's, <laughs> She's just, all I don't have, she makes every possible excuse and I'm finding ways to, uh, to help her do that work. And, and she's seeing how, oh my gosh, just a simple phone call to someone results in a lot of, of either in-kind or, or uh, donations of, of, of that sort. So when you see it happening, it's pretty magnificent when it all comes together. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's great. So let's, uh, I want to shift us a little bit. 
you mentioned that you just hired uh, someone and that you're, you're planning to hire another person. So I, I want to get your perspective on this one. So I think oftentimes people enter our field like you and I did, not having any background in it, you know, um, and, you know, we've, ha- we've got the benefit of time, right? We've, we've mm-hmm. been in this, you know, you've been in this for a decade. I'm sadly sound much older and ha- having been in for two decades now. Nice. Um, <laughs> it just means I'm old. Um, but I'm curious to hear from you for a major gift officer, what are like the top two or three qualities that you're looking for? Like what, boxes absolutely must someone check before you say, okay, I would consider that person for a role in our organization. Yeah, definitely varies depending on the organization. I would say if if I'm talking about the Salvation Army and and where I'm currently representing, um, the connection to the mission, I, I was amazed at the amount of people that, that were responding to our job posting for a major gift role. And the one, it was one application that just stood out and it was just someone had written, really poured their heart on the page saying, you know, this is, I, I'm, I'm already doing something within human services and really connecting what, what he has done, what he, what his personal passion and drive is. Um, it wasn't just something to throw your resume at and move forward. I mean, people who take the time to actually write a cover letter that is, um, meaningful. This is not a job that is, it's pretty thankless sometimes, you know, you're not, and, and, and you're not here to, you know, make tons and tons of money and retire early, you know, like a, like a financial sector type of a job. I mean, you really have to have a passion for what the organization is doing. And folks that I've, I've met along the way who may not have been a great fit, perhaps that the, there were some, some qualms against the way that we were doing certain things, the way that the, the way that the organization approaches different things. It felt more of a transactional conversation uh, with some of some of the folks that were being interviewed. I don't know. I just, I've I've had a hard time because everything's been remote. It's all been what I see and hear over zoom. You know, I wasn't able to take someone out to lunch and really get to know them a little bit better. So uh, that, that is a challenge I think right now to, to find the right person to fit that role. Um, I'll go even as far as to do a a trial donor visit with them and pretend I'm, you know, just, just to see what that's like. I mean, that's taking it to the extreme. I think right now, a lot of people don't have jobs. A lot of people yeah. are still looking for jobs. So we had a lot of really qualified fundraisers come to the table. And so that I, I already had a benefit off the gate where it wasn't just folks who've never done fundraising, have never been in not for nonprofit before, just trying to transition or anything like that. So I, I'm glad that I work for a nonprofit that's very family oriented. It's it's it is religious. You don't have to be a religious person to work here. We have folks of every religious background, every walk of life, every yeah. You know, there's 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 a lot of diversity here. Again, these are all reasons I want to keep working for the Salvation Army. Um, yeah, it's it's really telling when you have people, the, the folks that we are helping, um, again, I'm, I'm only reflecting Philadelphia when I'm saying this, but folks who are coming to the army for help in any way, shape or form, who end up then working for the army because mm. they are, they, they know what someone struggling is going through. That says something huge about an organization to me. And so, you know, we, we don't, I, I'm not going to discredit someone who applies, who may not have a ton of experience, but if they're able to tell that story a little bit more and what sure. connects them to 
why they want to be there. I mean, that, that speaks so huge, just volumes of, of, uh, of what that's going to look like long-term for the organization. So it's, again, it's, it's new. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm, I'm new to management. It's been successful so far for the, uh, the two hires that I've had. Everybody's kind of come together as a team. We definitely treat each other like family here when it comes to all of the struggles that everyone's having with the new way of, of working remotely. So uh, that, that, makes a, that makes a huge difference in, in hiring and making sure people can come together and uh, that there's not going to be conflict. But that, that's normal HR stuff, sure. I guess. <laughs> so. All right, so I've got two more questions for you, and then we're, we're just about out of time after that. Uh, the, the first of the two is, you know, there's been a lot of talk lately about the percentage of donors that are moving their uh, philanthropic giving into donor-advised funds, and whether that's, whether you see that as a risk or, <clears throat> excuse me, or as a potential opportunity, um, I, I guess just depends on someone's perspective, but I'm curious to get mm -hmm. your thoughts. Are you seeing that shift in Philadelphia? And if so, what are what are you and your team doing about it? Definitely seeing the shift, working with a lot of individuals who just trust donor advised funds more than collective foundations and things like that. I just had a long conversation with a gentleman yesterday who said he was about to take all of his money out of the foundation on the West Coast that was holding his money, put it into a DAF because he I mean, just the, the customer service aspect that people are that I'm hearing um from working with donor advised funds is, is phenomenal. They're doing a great job. They know how to connect with the people who are investing in their, in their entity and move that money quickly and, and the best way for them. So we've recently, I've, I've this has been something I've seen for years now. Um, it is frustrating because you are going to run into folks who do not want to divulge any information at all and you will see anonymous. And so uh, we're trying to work with the folks at the donor advice fund to keep them. Uh, they need to be stewarded just as much as the donor because they're the ones communicating them with the donor. So that's my advice is whatever you're sending out, whatever stewardship pieces, try and get to that entity. I don't know how successful that's going to be. Um, if someone, you know, it's a, it's a corporation, people are going to move around. Um, but the more that you can tell the story, uh, the better you're going to reach more, even more people because perhaps someone who's managing that, that portfolio of donors, they'll be able to say, Oh, by the way, I just talked to someone from the Salvation Army, or I just received, we're not going to call them. That's, that's been made very clear is we're not going to have a direct relationship with mm -hmm. them, but they're not going to throw away our uh, material sure. if we're sending it their way. <clears throat> uh, one thing we, the Salvation Army in just in, I think Pennsylvania. No, I, I no, it's, it's gotta be the region we have at least 150 sites where donors through a donor advised fund could just send a check. And mm -hmm. that's been very challenging for us I to bet. go and find it. So one great thing that I'm seeing coming down the pipeline is one in particular, I think it's fidelity charitable trusts. They're only going to be wiring things directly to one location to our hmm. territorial headquarters, which has okay. made things so much better. The, the, so much more transparency and information uh, that's if, if you have a larger charity um, that receives gifts at various locations, that's the best advice I have is centralize everything as best as possible and have your frontline fundraisers communicate this to donors. Uh, say this is what's happening. If you have a restriction, write it down or get in touch with me, send me an email in advance. Um, 
just so we, we're using the dollars the way that you intend them to be used. I, I don't see, again, I, there's a couple, a couple gifts that come in anonymously. I just, I don't, I, I only see this as a benefit in the long run. Um, people, they're not, they're going to, they're the biggest nonprofits, I think, in, in the United States now, these, these donor advised funds, the entities themselves. So I like it. And I think I'm, I'm going to keep sending my positivity out there <laughs> that uh, we're going to, we're going to keep having donors use them. And, and so we're just, we're just going to do our best to uh, steward those appropriately. So. Okay, cool. All right. Last question for you talking about change, right? So we've seen a ton of change already this year. And it's, it seems to me that it's happening more iteratively and more quickly than I can remember at any point. I'm curious to know, um, kind of just based on what you've experienced so far and, and what you're seeing on the ground, what do you anticipate, you know, some of the big changes might be for our industry, either, either nationally or, or just in the Philadelphia community in the next year or so? And how do you see that impacting your work? Mm. I see, you know, pre-COVID, um, starting to notice in our office, again, we're, we're a huge nonprofit. We, we're very, I'm exceptionally grateful for the fact that our frontline fundraisers have so many resources. We have, we have people who are guiding us if we have questions. Uh, we get together as teams to work through things. But there's always been a divide between planned giving and that community and the outright major gift fundraisers that is blending more than ever before <laughs> that is a change that i'm seeing and and i know you mentioned the beginning where there's all of these entities penn um indiana university i mean all of these great uh higher ed programs that you can go and take and learn more about this this career path and i think that new people coming off of, you know, out of college are going to say, okay, why aren't we doing both? Why aren't we doing both major and plan giving? And I, I can understand why I haven't even had the uh, donors tell me, I don't understand why you need two people <laughs> to, to here, take my outright gift, but I also want to write a CGA or a charitable right. gift annuity, you know, to, to help sustain your, your nonprofit. So that's something I'm encouraging all of my staff. Again, we, we have, the ability and, and the support uh, to pursue things like the CFRE and the Chartered Advisor in Philanthropy, which is something I personally would like to get before the CR, CFRE, actually, because I, I think that it's with the folks that I'm working with, those blended style gifts, that's, that's all the rage right now. That's what they're talking yeah. about. They want their estates to give, have the most impact in perpetuity, and I just don't have that knowledge yet. And sure. I want to have that knowledge. That's something several of my major gift fundraisers have said, why are we going for something when we could get a chartered advisor in philanthropy and just th that will arm us with so much more to help these folks that we work with. So I think that's a huge, I, I, I see, I foresee that as a change. I also understand the importance of each role. Uh, I'm not discrediting my peers. In fact, I'm spending more time with my peers in plan giving so that I can learn more. I'm trying to siphon off all of their knowledge. Otherwise, you know, this is a, a new career field that people are choosing. They want to work in nonprofit. They want to uh, help others and, and maybe they don't have the skill set or the desire to be on the ground, the boots on the ground, you know, putting those meals together. They, like this is, this is kind of that next level where, you know, I, I foresee a lot more people wanting to come in at kind of administrative level and, and learn philanthropy, learn the art of fundraising. So I can only see our field growing. <laughs> um, 
those those are just two off the top of my head. I'm sure I'll think of more as soon as we hop off the call. No, I, I, I think you're <laughs> right. And I think, you know, if if this COVID situation has taught us anything, it's that the need will continue to grow. So, you yeah. know, the, the field growing alongside that and hopefully a little bit ahead of it would not be a bad thing. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's really a uh, really smart conversation around blending uh, planned and outright giving. I, I've always wondered myself why those two sit separately. Why? Why um, are we at two different ends of the table? Yeah. Why, why? We're all one. We're For the, sure. We're the organization. Yep. And this is this, you, the donors thinking, oh, you're my charity. How, how can we make this work? You know, it's funny. We, we often talk about that in, in our work in the direct response side of like, well, a donor doesn't understand that you see them as a direct mail donor versus an email donor. They yes. see themselves as a donor to the Salvation Army. There it and, is. And you know what happens behind the door when you close it and it's just internal politics, they don't care about, right? They just want to know, am I going to be taken care of and is my gift going to be used the way I hoped it would, right? Absolutely. And I think the same goes, goes you know, for outright versus plan giving as well. Mm-hmm. We all need to come together, be friends. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, Jennifer, um, I'm really grateful for you being here today. Thanks for taking some time and and talking with us about the work that you're doing and your your thoughts on the industry. Um, If somebody wants to get in touch, wants to learn more or have a conversation with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Absolutely. Oh, it was my pleasure to be here. And the best way to reach me is probably either by phone or email. Um, I can be reached. Should I just say my phone number? It's up to you. Yeah. Uh, I can, yeah, phone, phone is probably the best right now because I'm crazy with, with the end of your fundraising, but I can be reached at 267-309-1932 or uh, by email. I'll give you my personal email, which is my full name, Jennifer with two N's dot Leah, L-E-A-H dot Diaz, D-I-A-Z at gmail.com. Awesome. And I can't imagine there are a lot of people who don't know about the Salvation Army, but Let's say there's somebody out there who wants to learn more about the Salvation Army. What's the easiest way for people to find out more information? Absolutely. Salvationarmy.org. If you, or just literally Googling Salvation Army and then whatever city or location you're in will get you to the most uh, hyper-local region. The Salvation Army is an international organization. So you can go down the rabbit hole and take a look and see, uh, you know, the, I think 50 plus countries that we're in and, uh, but for the hyper local, yep. Just salvationarmy.org or salvation army. And then if you write your city or location, uh, you'll, you'll be directed to the, the closest location page. Awesome. Well, I, I've enjoyed our conversation. Thank you again for being here. Thank you. My absolute pleasure, Andrew. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker fundraising podcast. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.